good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening to this. Hello. Hello. Uh, we're in John 12 and 13 today, but I want to make a little service announcement, a public service announcement here. We had John 12 up the other day for a very brief period of time, and there was actually quite a few listens to it on SoundCloud and one YouTube already. One and then you I know, it. and I'm like, ah, dang it, because I, I had Heidi pull it down because I totally misspoke in it. And I didn't realize it until I was thinking about it later on that day. And I was actually preparing for the next chapter. And I was like, ah, oh, dang it. I said that Jesus wrote in on Passover was his not so triumphal entry. But it was not on Passover. So it was actually uh, about, let's see, this... Chapter 12 deals with Jesus' anointing here, which we'll go into. Um, and that was six days before Passover, and it was the next day. So it was still a few days before Passover that he, so he rode into Jerusalem. to say right it, before, but you right said right before, on. but I said on, on Passover. So, the, I mean, not that that's a huge difference, but I misspoke, and I don't want to do that. And I caught myself, and, hey, that happens from time to time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm... I'm definitely not above it. <laughs> I know, and I know a lot of people that have, um, you know, uh, different ministries and channels and stuff. Uh, they'll sometimes they'll just put like a little correction, um, you know, the uh, on the down. bottom. But I just wanted her to take the whole thing down because I thought it was a big enough mistake that I didn't want to keep it. So we're gonna do the whole thing. Anyway, again. that was that, and we're gonna redo the whole thing again. But. The other part that I want to say about John that I didn't, I failed to kind of say at the beginning is John is a very, very deep book. I could not sit here and teach you all the different things that go into this book because there's so many plugs in this book, so many deeper meanings, so many foreshadows, so many... I mean, it's just, it's a very, very deep thinker's gospel. So, sometimes it's really difficult to be able to point, you know, pull out one point to go ahead and talk about. But on this one, there, like, so that being said, there's, there's many, many meanings to a lot of the things that Jesus did, said, and a lot of the things that, events that happened. There is multi-layered meanings in all of these things. Uh, one truth, obviously, but there's there's you know different different meanings and purposes and, and different things like that in every story. Um, this particular chapter in twelve, I see we teach and believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I see so many different foreshadows here of the rapture in chapter 12 that it's not necessarily understood as such so i don't want anybody to think that's what i'm making this chapter say i don't want to make it say anything because you know there's a purpose that's not to, your place <laughs> you know that that is definitely not my place the purpose of his anointing here again it's multi-layered but you know i mean he's being anointed as king before he goes into 
make the ultimate sacrifice, obviously. That's why it's the not-so-triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, which Andy Woods, which is a huge mentor, teacher, person that I've, I've followed since I started, um, that's one thing that he points out that drives him nuts, that in every single one of your Bible it read, Bibles it reads, the triumphal entry. He's like, nope, if you believe it, a, a pre, you know, the second coming of Christ in a uh, literal thousand-year kingdom, one. then this is, this is not the, this is the suffering servant's entry. So it's a little bit different, but I do see uh, a lot of similarities here because Jesus here in the first chapter is having dinner at Mary and Martha's house, who we know was sisters to Lazarus. And Lazarus is who Jesus raised from the dead. So we have the resurrection of the dead example there. Then we have Jesus dining with his resurrected friend, friends, before he rides into Jerusalem to be crowned king. Now, like I just said, it's his not-so-triumphal entry, but we know that what he accomplished on the cross, that after death, that he was raised to the right hand of the Father... And was given all, I mean, all authority and everything had been given to him and it's finished. It's done. So, we know that, that that's probably going to be a foreshadowing of his second coming as opposed to the suffering, per, the, the suffering first part here. But, um... If you believe in a pre-tribulational rapture like we do, we have this, this time together with Christ, which would be the rapture. And we have this period of time while, <clears throat> excuse me, tribulation is going here on earth before we return with Christ in a triumphant entry right on top we know his feet from Zechariah 14 will touch the Mount of Olives and that's that's literal and that's when he will at that point he will institute his thousand-year kingdom and we will be ruling and reigning along with him so all of this here I I take to be kind of a little bit of an example of that but I wanted to make sure that this is what I see. You might not see it this way, and that's fine. Because it's definitely not what it means. But that's what I find here. So verse 1. Six... Oh, we didn't stop and pray. That's right, we didn't. Yeah, so. Take a prayer first. Yep, pause us, go spend some time in prayer. And then, of course, if there's anything we can do for you after this at all, reach out, let us know, aphomechurch.com. Now go. First one. Six days before Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it 
wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, <laughs> I love how they all, every single one of the apostles throws Judas under the bus. Very deservingly, but they all throw Judas under the bus here like it was him who did it. <laughs> it sounds like a group of teenagers. It was Judas. Yeah, you never you know, get like, past his name without them throwing yeah, him under the bus. Which, I mean, they uh, he deserved it, of course, but I just think it's funny because... You know, we have in the John here where he doesn't refer to himself by name. Mm -hmm. Verse 5. The perfume, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Then <laughs> Here he dogs him again. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he stole, he often stole some for himself. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's very necessary that we have this information about Judas, but I still think it's funny to... <laughs> Until think of it like he's throwing him under the bus here. Yeah. It seems like he is. It really does. All right, verse 7. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Good grief. I love that. Deserted them and believed in Jesus, right? Because they wanted the praise that came from humans, not praise that come from God. And they didn't want to humble themselves to, to do that. So, and, you know, honestly, I was uh, today I was listening to a sermon about MacArthur talking about Nicodemus. Mm -hmm. And he's like... And he was the biggest cowardly wimp. Like he was going, right. MacArthur was going off on him. Oh, he's like Just hiding. because he was hiding and he was afraid of just this man's system and was, you know, was, was afraid to admit that he knew full well that this was the Messiah, but he was having this, this war and he was just a, just a horrible, you know, uh, example of that. But. Verse 12, the next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode it in, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that he that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. So I wonder if they actually remembered these things or if this was part of Jesus taking them through the scriptures and showing them the things concerning himself. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like, hey, you remember that one time that, that the donkey? Yep. Yep. You, know, you remember that? Obviously, he taught them something. Could, could you imagine that? I mean, even just them, you know, you, even now, you know, you look back, hindsight being twenty twenty, you know, and you see stuff and you're like, oh, my gosh. That was totally what that was. You know, I can't. Well, I was trying this morning to work on a podcast. I didn't get it finished, but uh, just – it kind of started from an interest that I'd had beforehand, and then Travis and I from Travis and Lexis that all of you know, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
had a conversation about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. So I had this in based off of that conversation and my, my prior interest, I uh, was was trying to write a podcast for that specific topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an interesting study of going through the Old Testament and finding Christ in the Old Testament. But going through that, I, I was pulling some scriptures from the New Testament and I, and I did and I went to the scripture and pulled out Luke 24:27. Uh, where that's exactly what we're talking about, that Jesus from from Moses and all the prophets, Jesus sat down with them and went through and showed them all the things concerning himself. That is the best, like, theology class you could ever have in your life. Could like, you oh my gosh. Mm. Like, I, I mean, yeah, we can find him, but having Jesus fully explain these things, and still there's prophecies that we're not, you know completely sure about that you know we kind of have her like we're pretty sure but they're kind of up in the air but having jesus himself be like yep this is really details and all those things yeah (laughs) that's crazy so um anyway we we have that detail so i pulled that out and uh so i wonder if this was part of part of that like if they really did know that or if maybe that was part of his like teaching right (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure they did i mean they were they were they were jews and they were obviously you know they were celebrating the the festivals just like obedient jews would so they would have known the scripture but uh they also were poor fishermen that i'm sure weren't at every time the most devout yeah (laughs) yeah people you know so all right Verse 17, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. This was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, when we want we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. See, now we this is the whole time that we've been waiting for, like the beginning. Woman, well, now's not my time. Mm-hmm. Now's my time. Now's that time. Now's that time. So we're getting we're obviously here to the end part of Jesus' ministry where he's gonna have he's having his greatest opposition and anxiety preparing for his yeah. his soon death. Could you imagine? I can't. Mm. I mean in in knowing what awaits you. Mm-mm. Um yeah, well, we'll see. We'll we'll go into that here cuz we we see uh Jesus human nature come out here coming up. So, verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. (laughs) Do you... (laughs) There is not enough time to go into the depth of that verse right there. 
those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity do you, that's that's death and death is bad right mm -hmm. so this is a harsh harsh statement do you think following christ is easy do you think this lifestyle is easy because it's not this is the hardest we can't think of anything worse than death right so this is the hardest possible thing to do in this life. You have to be willing to lose your life in this world to gain it for eternity. That means give up everything to the point of death. That's pretty But we don't I don't think we we stop in our daily lives we and our don't. trials and tribulations and we don't. weigh everything off of that. You know what I mean? Like Yes, we don't. And it's it's serious. And I've heard many of preachers preach on this verse. <laughs> and I have heard, I have been put into tears for what the fact that this means. Yeah. And it's, it's deep. And we have to keep this at the front part of our heads. And this is why it drives me nuts when I see this stuff being brought into Christianity, watered down Christianity, you know, this this type of happy-go-lucky, you know, I just want to hear the good things. Don't be attacking Evoke people. emotion in me. Jesus is all love. Well, that's true, but do you hear what he, he says right here? You have to be willing to lose your life in this world. That's not, that's not just some kind of like, you know, little poetic saying i mean that'd be a really ridiculous saying right he's the he's a horrible motivator yeah yeah he but, wouldn't pass the motivational circuits at no. all these guys he wouldn't have a best-selling book no that's this isn't stuff. this isn't something that you're going to hear come out of stephen furtick's mouth or any of insert any preacher that has you know any swag seminary preacher that's out there mm -hmm. and it it's we are doing a disservice in in our belief by not preaching these things and teaching these things because like this is deep i mean you that that's implications for right now what you're doing right this moment yeah right this second so verse 26 anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where i am and the father will honor anyone who serves me that's another deep under I mean I hate to stop so many times maybe this will only be one chapter but do you we are so quick to puff our chests out Spurgeon said this but we're so quick to be so proud of our Christianity and be I'm so deserving of our you know ah, and I'm but yet I'm sitting over here just marveling at the fact that I'm saved yeah um he's we ha we are not reconciled with God. God completely yet, it hasn't been realized. God put every single part of his wrath onto Christ for us. Like, we don't just get to stroll into this thing just all happy-go-lucky, look what I did. Like, Christ had to do this so you would even be okay with the Father. 
Like otherwise you wouldn't be and this would be very, very bad for you. Like the fact that we, the father will honor anyone who serves Christ. Do you know the depth of like the almighty God going, yeah, you're cool. Like that, again, that's part of the depth of this that we have to take seriously. Well, it's intense, and we need to take it as such. You, you can't, and that just, that's why it just drives me nuts trying to slap this stuff on any old thing that we want. You can't do that. Because we're talking about <laughs> Jesus telling us that the only way that he's going to honor anybody is by serving him. And believe me, you need God to honor you. You want him to look at you like that. And thank God we have the spirit as a seal. Because without that, we're dead men walking. We are horrible, wretched sinners. Paul makes that very clear in Romans. Right, so continuing on. 27. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. So this is where Jesus' human nature comes out a little bit. I, the NLT words, uh, words this a little bit different. I like the way the ESV does it a little bit more because it, it makes it seem more like Jesus is saying like, I really don't want to have to do this. If there's any other possible way that I didn't have to do this, that would be great, but I'm willing. So a lot of times I I tell people when they're worried about a prayer, you know, or worried about, you know, we look at the way that Jesus prayed for our example. We look at the what he's saying here. Um and and he his soul was deeply troubled. He was scared. He had fear. The, he had he had human emotions here. I mean, he knew what was awaiting him. And even he was like, yeah, I, I, I really wish I didn't have to do that. But I know I do. And I'm not doubting. I'm not, you know, I'm not honored to do it. You know, there's no sin here or there's no reluctance or anything. It's just knowing the depth of it and just, you know, knowing that you've got to swallow it and go on with it. Just like Job says, he goes, what am I just going to take all the blessings that God gives and not take what I have to do? It's the same wording here kind of in the same idea that what am I going to say? No, you know, I'm I'm serving you, Father. I'm I'm here for your will. So I'll have I have to take the bad. Well, I don't wanna, but I will. And what a reminder to us here in everything that we pray, even when we are in the worst of situations that we truthfully do not deserve to be in, but sometimes circumstances are just out of your control, right? What are you gonna do? Sometimes we get ourselves into horrible situations, but sometimes it just that's the way of the game. I mean, things mm -hmm. just happen that way. But is your prayer, and do you truly mean it? Truly. Father, 
bring glory to your name. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. Even if it means I have to stay in this really cruddy situation. Even if I have to stay sick. Even if I have to stay beaten down. Even if I still have to stay ridiculed and alone. Whatever it is. Use the situation to bring glory to your name. Is that truly our focus in our prayers? Right. Or is it more self-centered? So, you know, the, I mean, that's hard. But notice the wording here. It says, but this is the very reason I came. Yep. So there's no reluctance. There's no, there's, there's pride in the fact that this is the very reason I came and I'm coming to do the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, yeah, bring glory to your name, your name, not my name, not what I have, not what my plans are, but your name and your plans. So continuing in verse 28, because I didn't, I don't think I brought, I don't think I read the whole verse, right? No, you didn't. Okay, so continuing in 28, sorry everybody for confusing you. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd, respond, the crowd responded, we understood from scripture that the Messiah would live, live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must die? Just who is this Son of Man anyway? Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. <laughs> And look at verse 43, and I knew that we were coming up on it here. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. How far are we on time here? Because I didn't think I was going to get a chance. 26. Okay, I'm okay. I didn't think I was going to get a chance to go here, but the Lord led me here, obviously. Um, The Pharisees were a very very fascinating group that existed they were really prominent during the second temple period second temple judaism is what they call what they call it what what smart people with suits and ties and stuff call it (laughs) um but it was really that was over this period that the pharisees rose up and the pharisees sometimes were a social movement 
sometimes they were a school school of thought sometimes they were they were just um you know they were it just kind of depended what was going on at the time but for the most part they were really really good you know with strict observance to the law so much as to you know make up their own mm -hmm. and they also i sent you a little uh clip of it earlier actually honey um it, this is a little clip that i was reading just doing some research on the pharisees and i had known this but it popped out to me because this they love the human praise more than they love the praise from god and I couldn't help but honestly running parallels to this to conservative American conservative Americans today, applying what John MacArthur was saying in his book that some of the most searing responses that Jesus gave to the Pharisees, who were the religious right of his day, and they were, and the reason why they were right here, it says fundamentally the Pharisees continued a form of Judaism that ex extended beyond the temple applying jewish law to mundane activities in order to sanctify the everyday world mm -hmm. the pharisees were trying to make jerusalem great <laughs> that's exactly what they were doing they were applying this system that they had made this this system that was built off of truth right because they had they believed there's there's not that Jesus sided with the Pharisees or Sadducees, really, but the he agreed and his Jesus teaching and truth is more on the side of the Pharisees than it was the Sadducees. So Jesus, so this was kind of these guys were the 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 correct kind of fundamental base of how things should work. They had they believed you know in the resurrection. They believed that. They believed in a bunch of different things and then like i said they made laws out of it and they just but they they took these they took this system and they took god outside of the temple and tried to apply these laws to the to the society around them to israel around them and tried to make israel run off of that so what does that sound like that sounds exactly like what we're doing in this country today. Every time I hear Robert Jeffers get up there and preach, every time I hear Franklin Graham, I know I throw them under the bus consistently, but this is concerning to me. And they need to be, I, I, I don't know what I'm saying about them. I'm not calling them false Christians. I'm not saying, I'm not pronouncing any kind of judgment on them. But I am saying, well, I'm calling them Pharisees. That's because that's exactly what they're they are, and that's exactly what they're doing. So I mean, Jesus is very, very clear about the fate of the Pharisees. I'll leave that up to him for his judgment. But y'all can read that and see what he says. And none of the stuff that he says about them is not good. You know what he says? There, your father is the devil. Think about that. Think about that because they were hypocrites. They love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God. They were tying these two systems together and making this ridiculous nonsense and leading people astray. And they, 
that's exactly what we're seeing today. So, I mean, we, we have to keep that in mind. And, and we even with our everyday lives, we have to keep this in mind that this type of this type of belief and this type of attachment to the world and trying to mix God in with the God of this world doesn't mix together at all. And in fact, it ignites a fire in in Jesus here. I mean, like I said, he calls them blind guides, hypocrites, dogs. None of these none of these accusations and none of these um these things that he's saying against them are nice and what do you think all this information is written down for just be like oh yeah man they were they were crazy back then that was weird <laughs> thanks jesus for the cr no <laughs> no everything that has been written was written as an example and if Scripture must reign, remain relevant across every single culture, every single time period, until the end. And it will. Because it's a living and active Word of God. It does not change. So, it's, it's, this is not like this is some crazy comparison here and this is some, some you know, straw I'm reaching for trying to pull crazy points out here this is reality because this is this this system of what the pharisees created and and tried to do is the very same thing that you find the church wrapped up in trying to do and just our country in general wrapped up in trying to do and it does not lead well because it leads to enjoying the praise of men more than even caring about the praise for God. Right? Because we become proud in our country, in our system, in our democracy. If you're going to boast, boast only in the Lord. If you're going to boast, boast only in the Lord. We went, yep, I went, That I made that very clear in the study that we did a few days ago. How does that not apply? It does. It, it does, and it does here too. All right. Verse 44, that was a long break, and I apologize. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get to go there today, but I, I made it here. And, and we're going to – this is going to be a, a continued podcast. I think tomorrow we'll work on this about, about that. What does a Christian life look like? Now, I'm not giving you instruction but we're going to take apart. Well, let's look at scripture, scripture and let's apply and see, it literally to our lives. Let's try to apply it into our society, into our real lives today and see what it says and see what happens. So verse 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only in me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. The first time. The first time. Everybody gets lost in this. This is the first thing that all you people that are enjoying your salvation like you deserve it try to say, well, he didn't come, don't judge. The first time. 
He's coming again. And the second time... He's coming to judge. He's coming to judge. Verse 48. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth that I have spoken. They don't go to the next verse. That's the problem. Time and time, time again. Time and time again. Anytime you see someone use a verse on anything, a mug, a shirt, a sign, social media, whatever, go pull up your Bible app or pull out your Bible, go to that verse, read a couple before it and a couple after it. That usually clarifies a lot of things, even if you just do that. Mm. I don't, verse 49, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Wow, that's like crazy to think of. That mm -hmm. there's something in subjection to God, which is Christ, which is the Son, obviously. But this is showing the Son's subjection to the Father, which is huge. I mean, we, you know, thinking beyond uh, who Christ is sometimes is very difficult because we know that he was truly God and truly man, both. So thinking past the fact that when you say, yes, Jesus is God, you know, you're like, you know, and we know that we know that in the beginning of the book, in the very first chapter, verse three, all things were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. So Jesus did everything. But yet he's still in subjection to something. And that's to the Father. And so that's what really kind of uh, trips me out about the eternal state. Because that's the point when everything is completely realized. And we are among God the Father. That is mind-blowing because we can't comprehend the father like we can't fully grasp the vastness of the father we can't and the only way to access him is through christ so that something else in subjection to that is just mind-blowing to me i think it's just you know I, to me it shows the power of it so many people find weakness in Christianity, the fact that these things, I find this to be more powerful than anything. Mm. All right, verse 50. And the last verse. And I, yep, we'll cut it here because we're already at what? 38. Yeah, we're at 38. So we'll cut it here and we'll do 13 tomorrow. But verse 50. And I know his commandments. 13 commandment, on Monday. Monday. And I know his commandments lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Again, showing that subjection. So we will be back tomorrow with 13. Monday. Monday. I said tomorrow again. Mm -hmm. All right. Monday with 13. You know, for anybody who actually listened to uh, the original 12 that we put up, I think that I like this one better. I think you did much. I really I did. Think, I, I really like this one and hope everybody did too. I mean, it's the same information you're discussing. Yeah, it's the same information, I but I think it flowed out a lot today. better than the first one. Thank you. Yeah. I liked it. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we will be back with Bible study on Monday. Monday. Monday.